Welcome back to Freedom Fridays. In this episode of Freedom Fridays, I want to know how you're preparing for Christmas. Are you looking forward to it? Or are you looking backward at it? You say, what do you mean? Are you looking at Christmas as previous or are you looking at Christmas now? Are you looking forward to the family coming, which is a wonderful thing? Are you looking forward to the gifts and the presents and, and such? Are you looking forward to the meal? Are you looking forward to uh, the church service as this year Christmas is on a Sunday? Are you looking forward to a Christmas Eve service? Are you looking forward to, um, to just having a day off and relax? What are you looking forward to? Well, as we're looking forward to Christmas this year, I encourage you to look backward. Now, many times it's not a good idea to look back, um, except in order to look forward to Christmas, we need to understand what the foundations of it are. So when we look back, we can look back not at previous Christmases you've had in your life, but where does it begin? I'm not talking about any pagan holiday. I'm not talking about the Catholic Church's institution of December 25th or anything like that. No matter what day you celebrate as the incarnation of Christ, um, what is the where did it start? So if we go to Luke chapter 1, uh, down in verse 26, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement, and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall, call, you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary answered to the angel, How can this be? Since I am a virgin, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And uh, so this whole thing, and, and you've probably been familiar with the story that we talk about during Christmas time. The angel telling Mary, this is going to happen. I'm sent, uh, Holy, God is sending the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and you will have a son. And you're going to call him Jesus. He's going to save the people from their sin. Now, as we take a look at this, it's more than just the beautiful story, and it is a beautiful story, of Mary Joseph, the shepherds, later on the wise men, um, and baby Jesus. 
it's more than just a story of angels speaking to shepherds and angels speaking to Mary and angels speaking to Joseph that we find in Matthew chapter 1, um, which is the um, corresponding passage to the one we just read where the, the angel speaks to Joseph as well um, because Joseph wasn't understanding the whole virgin birth thing, understandably so. It had never happened before in all of history and hasn't happened since. And so he didn't understand all of that, and but he knew he loved Mary and wanted to do right by her. And so we've got all of these dynamics that played in um, the miracles miracle of a virgin birth, the miracle of Joseph being willing to continue to take Mary as his wife, the miracle of John the Baptist being born around the same time. At the beginning of the passage I just read, it said in the sixth month. That's not the sixth month of the year. That's the sixth month in reference to the passage right before it, where Elizabeth had hidden herself for five months, and now this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so this all fits together, and God is working some amazing things here, but it's more than just that. It's more than just a virgin with a child, which again, I don't want to make light of because that's amazing. It's never happened other than this one time in history, and it will never happen again. And so I don't want to make light of that. It shows the power of God. It shows the sovereignty of God. It shows the majesty of God. It shows the creativeness of God. Um, nobody would have thought this would ever happen, but it did. And uh, it also shows that Mary herself was very willing to, to follow God's plan, even if it meant shaming, which it, it surely would have meant, even if it meant disgrace, which it meant for her and Joseph both. It, it, no matter what it meant, um, she was willing to follow God. That's a wonderful example for us, isn't it? Um, but it's, it's even more than that. Because this baby came to save God's people from their sins. Um, and, and that's important. He didn't do that by just being born. He didn't do that by the wise men visiting or the shepherds and the angels with the announcement in the field. That had nothing to do with it. Um. So I'd, I'd like to take a look a little bit further at John chapter 3, and often we go to verse 16, and we'll start there, but let's continue on, because it, this sheds light on the necessity and the background even beforehand on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the crux of why 
we celebrate Christmas. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Now, how does he do that? For those who have faith and put their faith in him, we shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus did not come and be born uh, in, in the stable at, for the purpose of cleaning house and judging the world. He did not come for the purpose of destroying the world. He did not come for the purpose of um, sharing with you how sinful you are, although he did point that out from time to time, because in order to see your need for a Savior, you need to understand your sinfulness. But that's not the primary reason he came. See, the law was already there to show us our sinfulness. The law was very clear that you cannot complete it. You cannot keep the law completely. It's impossible. There's only one in all of history that has ever done that, and that is Jesus. He did not have the sin nature that you and I have. It is impossible for us. So we already knew that we are sinful. And because of that sin, we are separated from God. That was foretold way back in the beginning when Adam was told that if he eats of the tree, he would surely die. And that is twofold. One, we have physical death. That's obvious around us. Every person other than two in all of history have died. And that would be Enoch and Elijah. And they're, they're the only ones. They were taken by God. Every person dies. And the second result is a spiritual death or separation from God. So our sin has separated us from God. And not only has it separated us from God, but because of that separation, we are now incomplete. Because we need him. We need him for everyday life. We need him for all of the things that we need to do every day. And obviously, we need him for salvation or we end up in an eternity separated from God in hell or in the lake of fire. And we obviously know this, but Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but the second half of that verse says, but that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, for he, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, verse 19, that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. So now as we look at Christmas, and as we're looking forward to Christmas, let's look backward and see not just the baby in the manger, it's good to see that, but not just the baby in the manger, not just Mary and Joseph on, on a donkey on the way to Jerusalem for her, her, the, the taxation and for her to give birth, not just the shepherds and the wise men and the angels, 
All those things are good and all those things are wonderful. But let's look at the reason Jesus came. He who believes in him is not judged, but those of us who have not believed in him are judged already because of the simple fact that we have not believed in him. So how did Jesus accomplish this salvation from our sins, as we like to put it, or how did he accomplish the change so that our sins are atoned for? And that was through his substitutionary death in our place. So substitutionary means he did it in, in the, as a substitute for us because the results of our sin is death. Now, Jesus never sinned, so he did not earn death. And so when he died on the cross, he did not have to. If Jesus had not chosen to go to the cross for you and me, he could have lived on forever. Remember, Jesus was without sin. Even though he lived in a human body, because of him being without sin, he would have lived on through eternity because he, he didn't have any of the effects of sin. And so he chose to substitute his righteousness, his perfection for our sinfulness. That's why when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane before the crucifixion and he was praying and he, he asked God, if this cup could pass from me, please, but not my will, but yours be done. And he was so, such an agony in that prayer that it says he's, his sweat was great, like great drops of blood. He was so intensely in agony over what was going to happen because he knew exactly what was going to happen. And it was gruesome. And as gruesome as the crucifixion was, and you say, well, how gruesome was it? It was absolutely horrible. It says that before he even got to the hill on Golgotha to be put on the cross, that he was beaten so badly and his beard was pulled out and they shoved the crown of thorns in his head so much to the point that when you looked at him, he didn't even look like a man anymore. It was disgusting. And as, as horrifying as that is, and the crucifixion itself, how it pulls all of your shoulder joints out of joint and the, the spike through his, his feet that he would have to push up on even to get a breath and, and the death of asphyxiation and... Being having the spear thrust in his side, all those things are absolutely horrifying and horrible. And as bad as those were, they weren't the worst part of the crucifixion. The absolute worst part of the crucifixion was when the sky turned black because God turned his back on his only son. Two parts 
of the Trinity that is inseparable of God were separated because of our sin. Think about that. As we approach Christmas, think about the reason and the fact that that Jesus had to come is because our sin was so much of an offense that it even caused the Son of God to be separated from the Trinity for a moment in time. Oh, the agony when the Father turned his back on his son and how all that works together, I don't understand. But we know that that is the absolute worst part of the crucifixion. So as you look forward to Christmas and as you look forward to all of the celebration and all of the family gathering, if that's part of your Christmas, or if you are just looking forward to some quiet time or church services or whatnot, look back at not only the first Christmas, the first of the incarnation, but the reason for it at the cross. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week on Freedom Fridays.